0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Mistakes Were Made with me, Alex Steger. And me, Frank Talbot. And today on the pod, we're joined by a very special guest, Rajiv Jain. For those of you who don't know Rajiv, he's a highly renowned uh, global equity investor. Uh, Made his name, I suppose, back in the day at Von Tobel, but has since gone on to found his own, frankly, wildly successful firm, GQG Partners, uh, where he runs international, global and EM strategies predominantly.
1: Yeah, Rajiv Rajiv was great. He even offered me some uh, some help with my pension which I certainly need. Um uh, any any advice from from such a storied manager is so certainly welcome. Yeah, great humility. Great turn of phrase as well uh, throughout the um throughout the podcast lit, littered with sort of sort of take 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 home nuggets of wisdom um from from him. He was very candid about the fact that he's definitely still learning. And he was one of the individuals, uh, I won't spoil it, but there was overweight Russia going into the unfortunate invasion that happened uh, at the start of the year. So uh, he was talking about how how you, how you exit from that kind of market and, and what best practices to do in a situation with such massive political risk.
0: Yeah, also a very sort of apposite investor to be speaking to, generally given one of his key lessons being sort of... Um, not to anchor too strongly on the past. And this is something that he's put into practice in the last couple of years with his portfolio today looking very, very different, frankly, Um, particularly in terms of its its sector weightings from from where it did, say, a couple of years ago. And he's really made a a shift there. And he explains sort of how he's done that, but also why that's important. Um, Now, before we get to the main event, Rajiv, uh, we do, of course, have our new segment, It Could Be Worse with Jamie Catherwood. This week is an absolute gem. It involves samurais and rabbits. And I think that's all I really need to say. So without further ado, it could be worse.
2: Okay, so this next story is about rabbits and speculating samurais. (laughs) Um, After the 1868 Meiji Revolution in Japan, the new government made sweeping economic and political reforms, including one major reform which was destroying Japan's class system, aka samurai class, merchants, farmers, etc. This was devastating for samurais as they relied on government support to fund their livelihood. The government temporarily continued paying samurais, but required them to establish new businesses or find investment opportunities to put their compensation to productive use to establish themselves in the transition from kind of being on the government dole to independence. In the same period, merchants began importing rare foreign rabbits to Japan. The rabbits quickly grew popular among the Japanese elite and the price of rabbits soared. Like stimulus checks were used to day trade on Robin Hood, this samurai class used government stipends to speculate on the rabbit market, buying and selling these animals for profit. Rabbit auctions sprung up across Tokyo, and like other speculative bubbles and collectibles, rabbits with rarer features like yellow ears garnered higher prices. In fact, a champion rabbit ranking list was created very similar to that type of list that was used for Japanese sumo wrestlers. However, many of these rare rabbits turned out to be painfully common. An 1872 Japanese newspaper article reported that dishonest merchants were using paint to disguise the color of a rabbit's fur and selling it to gullible speculators as a rare rabbit for higher prices. And it gets worse. Another Japanese paper detailed how some speculators tried selling their daughters to get money for buying rabbits. Another man had also killed his father for declining a $150 bid for their rabbit, which then died the next morning. Records show a rabbit being traded for 600 yen at a time when the average monthly rent in Tokyo was half a yen. Fearing the societal impact of rampant speculation and the prospect of a bankrupt samurai class, the government levied a rabbit tax that effectively ended the market overnight. Rabbits that had sold for hundreds of yen were suddenly worth as little as 0.2 yen after the government's tax made it unprofitable to continue trading. Many merchants and samurai speculators were left holding the bag on a terrible investment.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Jamie. Now look, onto on our interview with Rajiv. The last thing I'd say before we start is, uh, not only is he brilliant on his own mistakes, but he also doesn't pull his punches when it comes to mistakes that he sees other people make, specifically other asset managers make on a sort of day-to-day basis.
1: And regrettably at the time we were having technical difficulties. So Rajiv's audio isn't as clear as it could have been, but nevertheless, it still makes for a great interview we start these podcasts all exactly the same way,
0: which to be honest makes it incredibly easy for us uh, which is by asking our guests um, if they could share with us one two, maybe three but you know at least one <laughs> of their biggest investment mistakes and crucially you know what they learned from it so I guess to begin with is is there a mistake that that, that stands out to you and, and, and maybe unpack a little bit about about what happened
3: yeah look I think I think I think I've always said that investing is a journey of learning from mistakes. Uh, the question is, uh, what do you get out of it? Uh, you will make mistakes. So if, if I, I was thinking like, what are the biggest ones? Because, uh, and sometimes the biggest ones are not necessarily where you lost the most money. They are sort of more process-oriented mistakes. Uh, and, and, if, and if I take a look, actually, that sort of two big ones that stand out from an investment perspective, and I think there are some other sort of non-investment, but related to that, i.e. personnel type mistakes, which I can talk about. Uh, but I think I think, from an investment process perspective, the biggest one that comes to mind, which impacted in a significant way how I thought and behaved over the long run, because I tried to modify that behavior, was um, uh, not looking at energy closing up in 2003, 4 period. Now, um, the the... the I I did go back in 2006 and did a lot of work on the energy and came out extremely bullish and we ended up having significant exposure. Uh, However, the question, and and, and that sort of really uh, bummed me off was that, why didn't I look at it before? I mean, it was kind of being extremely close-minded that energy is not investable. We can't predict oil prices. We'll never invest in that kind of scenario, right? Um, Now I did own some oil stocks before that and they were sort of purely bought bought when they were cheap and sold out and they're expensive kind of stuff. and, 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 and the lesson there is that you always anchor on your past. It's always easy to say, oh, we never invest in this, that you always invest in this kind of stuff. It feels, in, to me, superficially comfortable. It doesn't make you a better investor because there could be long periods where it can be totally out of sync. And not only that, you learn a lot from those areas, which has, which has implication in other areas. So if I go back to 2002, 2003 area that, you know, the data would begin to come through uh, that there's something else happening on the energy front, I simply refuse to sort of, you know, sort of be open-minded enough and say, look, this deserves more work.
0: So this this is really interesting because you, um, a listener here, can let you inside how this works a little bit. Before the interview with Chief, you sent over um, an interview that you did with Citywire uh, for a book that was published in I think 2005, um, written by a very esteemed author, one of our bosses. Um, and in that, you mentioned this. So you mentioned there that you missed out on this commodity super cycle. So I guess it was still kind of fresh, fresh in your mind, and, and you know, it's still hurting you a little bit in that respect. So uh, were there specifics? Was it was it, was it the sector as a whole? Was it sort of particular companies that, that, that in hindsight, you know, you, you should have looked at. They would have fitted your criteria, but you just ruled out the whole sector, or sort of, you know, how how had you got to the point where you you, you just didn't didn't buy it at all?
3: Yeah, so if, if you look at growth investors in general, they tend to be, uh, they, they, they tend to look at sort of three to five year history and then say how good the history and assume or, or extrapolate or, or, or try to work around the fact that they're okay, this will continue, right? Growth investors tend not to be mean rewarding investors. Um, and, and they believe the trends will continue. So by definition, it takes time for things to show up on your screens. But the data might be powerful enough if you do the work on a bottom-up basis. So it's very easy, if you think about it like today, ironically, we might be in similar setup. A lot of investors, I've heard some fairly esteemed investors say, oh, we will never invest. Look at how bad it has in the last 10 years, which is kind of interesting because the fact that some areas have been bad may be the very reason why they might be better investment because the capital hasn't gone into that space. So 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 there there were opportunities there. I just refused to look at them.
0: So were you more top down at that point rather than, and that changed? How did you change as a result of this?
3: Yeah, so so it, it was actually all bottom up because uh, from a company by a company basis, obviously you have to make certain assumptions about oil and where oil going, and natural gas prices are going. But but the data was there on a bottom up basis that the fundamentals were fairly strong. And then obviously you have to look at the commodity prices and where they're going. And uh, in, and in, in 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 a way, there's no different. This, this is not different from what is happening in the semiconductor space over the last decade, right? I mean, it's a cyclical space. Uh, there's structural tailwinds. Um, but there's always this of oversupply, which has killed this industry time and time again. So uh, the, the the question was not sort of, um, it's simply being dogmatic and saying, oh, we don't invest in that, and not looking at the data. And that's a problem that investors in general, in my view, uh, you know, in two years, it'll be 30 years since I've been a PM, um, uh, the biggest mistake tends to be that we have a certain viewpoint over what should be happening. So we don't come to the game with an open mind.
0: So we've talked a little bit about this before. Uh, I think when we last spoke, this this mistake that people make around kind of anchoring to the past, not, I guess, reassessing um, sort of deeply held beliefs and stuff. And this is a mistake that you think a lot of people are making at the moment, particularly growth investors. You know, thinking that what's worked for the last ten years, i.e., you know, a lot of big tech and things, are going to be the same things that work for the next however long, is that fair to say? You sort of think that's a, a pretty significant mistake that that people are making today.
3: Yeah, because because look, I think I think what what do fear? What do we fear the most? It's change we fear the most.
0: Um, you mentioned Rajiv was one of the stuff that she was. I think you said there were two mistakes, and I, I, I'm say commodities was. Or, or missing out on commodities and, and, and sort of being closed-minded to them back in, in two thousand three was one. Uh, have we touched on the other, or is, is the other still to come?
3: In fact, in fact, uh, I, I, in fact, I believe that everybody should spend some time on understanding how commodities work. That's been a big, but overall lesson, if you ask me, because it gives it feeds into <laughs> so many different areas. It gave an insight in inflation. Why did we still got nervous about inflation last year? Was because of what's happened in commodity markets, right? Um, so, the second one also commodity related, which is in 2008. Now, let's recap a little bit. Um, in late 2006, early 2007, I was, be- be- uh, was becoming fairly nervous on the financials. Financials were one of the most productive areas uh, pre 2007 for me. Okay, I mean, there were banks in Ireland and UK and US which did fantastically well. I mean, I remember early 2000 Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, AIG, these were some of the largest positions in, in the, the, that i own for a long time it's like going back to the 90s and and uh, you know there, there was telltale signs of a credit crisis Now, having run money in emerging markets for a while i mean you know that when there's a massive credit growth policies become lax uh, lending policies become lax um and, and 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 when the tide turns i.e interest rates start going up uh the risk of problem goes up and when there's a credit crisis the downside is a way more meaningful than people appreciate so we pretty much exited vast majority of banking exposure by 2007. However, I did not connect the dots that if there's a credit crisis, it will ripple through a lot of different areas. You cannot have a credit crisis in Europe and US, particularly UK and US, and commodity prices are going to stay high because I believed in the whole at that point decoupling that China and emerging market are going to be fine, uh, and and that led to a meaningful sell-off in oil, right? So the it's about, again, looking at the whole broad spectrum and connecting the dots.
1: Do you think uh, Do you think the dots have all been connected now? Do you think we're, we're kind of due another 2008-style protracted downturn in, in markets? I want to know what to do with my pension. <laughs> give me the so, answers.
3: Yeah, so again, as they, 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 they say, it rhymes, it never repeats itself. So I think there's some signs of that, but they, right now, the demand supply situation is very different than 2008. Remember 2008? We were seventh-odd year into the bull market in commodities. So the supply had begun to come through a little bit. CapEx was being ramped up. Nobody was trying to shut down oil capacity or shut down oil wells, right? Like like now. Number two is that that even if you look at the refining capacity today, it's extremely tight. Nobody has added capacity. They've taken out almost 10% of capacity, for example, in the U.S., so the fundamentals look very different, but the lesson is still there that you got to be careful. You you can't assume that oh we know right they'll be exactly repeating the same mistake.
0: I want to I want to ask you about Russia because obviously uh, at the start of this year or towards the end of last year you had a you you had bought in had the sort of decent exposure to it and you sold out of it at the start of the year. And I, I believe if I have this right, most you were out of most of your position prior to. Uh, the invasion of ukraine um but it, but this was like the, the the second time if I have this right that you 've also sort of you know bought into russia because because you like companies there um but then due to sanctions and sort of geopolitical events and in this case a you know an invasion you, you, you've had to pull out um do you regard both you know both instances where you 've been in and had to leave again do you regard those as mistakes or were they sort of because they're issues beyond your control and beyond your analysis you sort of the process was good and it wasn't the outcome was bad but but you didn't make a mistake how, how do you sort of see that
3: if i look at the russian exposure now i first looked at russia in mid-90s and i thought this was a wild west so as to joke around I missed the first bull market in russia from 94 to 98 missed the collapse miss the second bull market from 2000 or thereabouts to 2008 or 9 and then miss the second collapse okay however but things that and by the way, second, second was painful. Again, the same thing. Russia was a 5X, uh, sorry, 50X from the trough of 98, 99, okay? A market up in dollar terms, including dividend 50 times. That is painful. Uh, and anybody says, oh, I don't care. I, I think maybe I'm in the wrong business in my opinion. Um, uh, so, So now what happened was in 2015, 2016, there was massive revamp of the governance standards Regulatory standards, so on and so forth. Okay. Uh, that, the change in sort of governance standards, so on and so forth, made us comfortable again. In fact, I wrote a piece of paper in 2017 why Russia is so attractive. Again, it is all about detecting change in my way. Investing is meaningful. It simply can say, oh, look, I won't go go for the rest of for 30 years. I'm going to rest of my life. That's wonderful. But you, know, you can't really run professional money that way. Uh, so, so the problem started um, when. It, 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 oh, sorry, one more thing. If you look at the valuations and the underlying, we were very bullish in commodities late last year. The fundamentals were very strong. These companies. They are, uh, the ironic part is that if you look at the how the stocks have behaved after the war in local markets, and these these companies are making more money, not less money. Very few of them have been sanctioned. I mean, you cannot sanction Gazprom if you wanted to. You cannot sanction Lukoil even if you wanted to. Right? These companies are minting money. So, was the process wrong? I don't know whether the process was wrong because we, our job is to look at fundamentals. What we got wrong was the the outcome, which was uh, an extreme outcome of a not invading, but the sanctions. More importantly, this uh, um, uh, see if you think about it, Russia probably would not have um, uh, have put capital controls on um, that, that, that 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 because the balance sheet was so good. And balance sheet is ridiculous. good. I mean, people forget Russia is almost a debt-free country. I mean, how many de- large, large debt-free countries do we know around the world? They, they, they don't need Western capital. So we thought that these companies are basically immune to a lot of things. What happened? And from a market perspective, they have been immune. However, because of the West now sort of um, uh, sanctioning the Western, uh, the Russian reserves, Russia reacted. So to make a long story short, again, that's the unpredictability of the markets. So we did cut back. Now, the mistake was that at the end, we, while we had begun to cut back, I should have been more aggressive in cutting back. So the lesson here is when things are turning away, going wrong way, get you got to be aggressive in cutting back risk. It's not about taking on risk. We are the business of taking risk. It's about The lesson is the same, by the way, which is if things start going the other way, how, what do you do when you're wrong? That is always the fundamental question to ask, not I should never invest in that area. That that, that to me is a non-answer.
0: We have had, I think, at least one guest on this podcast, Frank, and I'm struggling to remember the name, or exactly who it was, rather, uh, who suggested that actually skin in the game can be Dangerous. It can sort of misincentivize managers because they might be too risk-averse if it's all their own money or they might sort of, you know
3: Yeah, that's I think total bullshit. That's the biggest bullshit i ever heard. If, you, if you're not, if, you, if you're not willing to, to If you emotion emotionally can't handle the, you know, the, the your own investment, you're the wrong business pal You can't take the heat, leave the, you know, leave the kitchen Yeah, so they, they, there's no debate that you have to have skin in the game. In fact, We 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 require everybody to have significance in the game. I mean, from a comp perspective, but even as you know, we don't allow individual stock trading. I mean, you know, people spend more time money managing their own money, which looks very different than what their clients. We simply don't allow that. And I have vast majority of my wealth tied up at GQG, as you know, ninety percent plus of my entire tied up in GQG, one shape or form. And I like that, So it 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 focuses my attention. I mean, clients clients deserve that
0: yeah you told me once i think back when you were starting the firm up or near the beginning that um it would be one thing to have difficult conversations with clients but it'd be the hardest conversation you might have to have if it all went south was, was with your wife because all the all the money was, uh, <laughs> yeah, was and i sense. still
3: have to have conversation by the way <laughs> like this year why is still down two percent like average you i said, look average use point is down 25 percent. this is june right why but why is still down so that those are not easy conversations <laughs> yeah, sounds tough
1: No, I was just just interested. You've obviously run uh, equities across the piece. Do you think it's easier to make a mistake? You spoke about Russia being the Wild West. Do you think it's easier to make a mistake in emerging markets than it is in uh, developed markets?
3: Uh, It's a difficult question. It's a tough one to answer because in in, in developed markets, uh, the mistakes would be probably less catastrophic. You would have time to get out. If you look at emerging market crisis, you
1: it unravels quickly.
3: It it unravels quickly, right? Now, if you look at the UK banking system, 2007, it also unraveled very quickly. I mean, if you think about it, of the pre-GFC, which British bank is surviving? Which didn't have Asian exposure, right? HSBC, Standard Chartered, and so on and so forth. I mean, all the Northern Rocks and Abbey Nationals, you know, they disappeared. So, but you do get more time. Like, you know, I, th- I think it was fairly obvious that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were in trouble. I mean, the, the, they were 50 times leverage and NPLs are to go up. Okay, now, you, you, you don't even rocket scientists to figure that out. That the, it's going to be problematic, but you get time to react. In emerging markets, sometimes they unravel quickly. The information isn't there. Uh, and there are probably people who do have information which you're competing against. I mean, do we really know what's happening in the Chinese real estate market more than some of the local... Folks on the real estate, and for the, from a policy perspective, who are we kidding?
0: So, in those situations, what just you just stay clear. Yeah, exactly.
3: Look, if if this is not, it, it's is not this a level playing field, and if you feel things are begin to turn a little bit, my view is leave. And and I think that, that is a lesson. Two thousand eight, that was a lesson in Russia, by the way. So investing in Russia was not a mistake, in my opinion. Still, the question was, did you cut back? So There's always, what do you do once you're in? Simply not investing is, is, you'll miss a lot of opportunities. Like, I mean, it's if you want a night, okay, let's talk about some of the, in my opinion, conventional wisdom, which is long and convention, short on wisdom. Okay. Um, in the industry, number one is, is if you have a 90% hit rate, yeah, well, your value returns are going to be a lot lower. Right. Uh, if, if you're going to raise the bar so much before you invest in any business, guess what? You just have less number of business to invest in, right? You also, would you invest in Amazon in 99, 2000? Well, the business looks very different, but the bar had to be, in a, you know, sort of set differently. You, you have to go up a little bit on the risk curve to get extraordinary returns over the long run. Number two is actually, that's another mistake I want to talk about on the personnel side. This industry relishes saying oh everybody's you know everybody is born here everybody's die here right I mean, nobody leaves well that's that's that, that's the biggest mistake in fact one of my mistakes is that i have not been as aggressive in, in 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 sort of changing the team uh, you know some of the team members over the years who were not sort of either became complacent or were too dogmatic and so on and so forth right and i think i think i think i think i think that's a that's as as one very astute consultants told me that that any firm that has zero turnover, chances of probably won't survive in the long run. Because they're not learning new things at all.
0: It's interesting because I think um fund selectors, you know, sort of fund analysts tend to place a lot of um weight on manager tenure, but also, you know, the tenure of those around the managers, um, analysts and, and sort of cohorts and things, and they and they sort of I would say value that stability, so it, it, I guess it's a slight- That's effect. what I'm
3: saying, it's a conventional wisdom, but long and convention, short on wisdom.
0: Got it, so the, the lesson is don't get too cozy at GKG, yeah?
3: <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, but, but, but the client, client I mean, we can be, uh, I can be fired on a phone call, right, I mean, it's, it's, it applies to everybody. It doesn't mean you have a very high turnover, to be clear, okay, you don't want a very high turnover, but zero turnover, I, I mean, have, have you heard any sports team say that? Oh, the performance sucks, but the team is stable, Folks, chill out, right? Have you heard any CEO say that? No. Any other business where they say that? or oh, Nobody has left it, but the performance is bad, but don't worry about it, everybody's there. Well, that's <laughs> exactly the problem, isn't it?
0: Any any asset managers spring to mind that you want
3: to... Well, <laughs> <give them>? <laughs> <laughs> now you're really going to get me in trouble.
0: Hey, look, you can only get yourself in trouble. Um, we, we touched on, I suppose, again, sort of conventional wisdom. Maybe this this, this sort of fits in with that idea and um again something that we hear a certain amount from a lot of our readers have, you know professional fund buyers fund selectors is talking about style drift and you know um managers kind of sticking to to what they say they'll do and i thought it's an interesting thing to bring up with you because um i think you would argue that your you know your process is very consistent but style wise obviously when you make these big rotations and things in the fund and, and you know it, c- it can look with the profile of the fund for example you know or, or you sort of your portfolios looks very different today than it did, at, say, the end of 2020. Um, and again, just to reference that, that the book, the, the 2005 book, you know, I think there you were described as a value manager, and I think you know more recently people uh, speaking to you would sort of, you know think you're a quality growth manager. I, th- I think that's how you would sort of maybe, maybe define yourself. That's, now. The, the, the,
3: that's why that's why I thought you find this you know article interesting because it, you know it talked about some of my mistakes, and now you have a 17 year period, right? It's a long enough period. A lot has happened there. Look, I think, I, think, I think there's an old saying that you never step into the same river twice. The world is never static. There's nothing permanent. Everything is temporary at the end. So you got to keep adapting. So we always look for quality businesses with reasonably good sort of outlook at that point at sensible valuations. And, and sometimes it's in financial, sometimes it's in energy, sometimes it's in tech and and, and I think, I think, I think, I think, I uh, think, and, and and I feel that, that our clients actually appreciate the fact that we're not being sort of, oh, we're never going to invest, never going to invest that. Well, well for example, if you're sitting here in 1969 and you said, oh, I only invest in tech, you know how long it took for the tech as an industry to come back to the same level? How about 30 years? That took the dot com bubble to break even. If you want applied materials, summer of 2000, it, it went through that level in summer of 2020, okay. Applied material. So, so I think, I think, I think, I, I, I think these cycles can be long. In the meantime, the world can go very different ways, which is inherently unpredictable. Frank,
0: anything that you wanted to ask before we say our thanks?
1: No, I think, uh, I think, I think, I think we're done. Rajiv is smiling, so he's expecting something. Nothing's coming. Rajiv, any,
0: anything you, good, you wanted to, to cover? That you expected to cover that we haven't, Rajiv? Anything you want to you know?
3: Frank, we can talk separately about a 401k audit retirement plan.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Personal Thank you. Yeah. Financial
3: <laughs> advice from Rajiv Jane <laughs> From Can't
1: Rajiv Jane, Frank. I'll, I'll, I will take that. I really will take that.
0: <laughs> that was our interview with Rajiv Jane, Frank, I mean, there's a lot in there, both you know, his own allocation calls, but also, as we discussed at the beginning, some of the the errors that he sees being made in asset management. I really enjoyed that phrase, uh, you know, conventional wisdom. Uh, was it heavy,
1: heavy on Long convention? Long on convention, short on wisdom. Yeah. yeah, I thought that 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 was a lovely, a lovely turn of phrase. Um, thoughts? Yeah, he he had a few. Particularly as you don't you don't step in the same stream twice, and I think that's that point about how don't don't expect the to, to the next the next bull market to be led by the you know the same the same leaders as the last one. Ie tech. You know, that's I think that's an important point that we can all take on board. I really liked uh, his analysis of developed markets versus emerging markets in terms of when, when, when to get out when you can see that, that the warning signs are starting to flash. And ultimately, it's all about time. Um, where in, in Yeah, how market, you have a lot people,
0: less of it in emerging
1: markets. Exactly. Um, I also like to had the humility to say that the, the people on the ground are going to know more than you in, say, Chinese property. like that, that was the point he referenced. And this is an individual who's from billions in emerging markets very successfully for a long time. Uh, and he he would be the first to say, listen, there are going to be people, the information, information asymmetry is going to be high, and there are going to be people with more knowledge than you. Yeah, no, I thought that was very interesting. I thought, as we touched on before, you know, the whole sort of anchoring
0: to the past, and, and he's obviously practicing what he preaches there by moving away from large positions that he had, say, even, even a year and a half ago, to something pretty different today. Um, look, I also liked, you know, the journalist in me will always enjoy someone bashing uh, competitors, or, or indeed other asset managers, and you know, yeah, uh, he hit back pretty hard on on um, on the question of whether whether skin in the game could could be a negative incentive. Uh, could be a negative uh, incentive. Uh, I love that phrase. You know, if you can't handle effectively, if you can't handle the heat, get get out of the kitchen, um, and also push back quite a bit
1: on this whole sort of you know idea of low turnover being the be all and end all. Yeah, it was interesting because actually that's. I never, I'd never really contemplated it. It's such uh, received wisdom. Is that, is that the right phrase? That 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 you do want a, a solid team. But he said there are no parallels in virtually any other industry where you're you're going to keep the same team together even through through the bad times and the good. You're going to change. You're going to get fresh ideas in. Groupthink is is a real problem. Uh, and if you can cut that out by introducing some some wild cards or just some just some new voices into the mix, then. Why, why wouldn't you do that? And he himself admitted he he probably hadn't done it enough.
0: Yeah. And we joked about whether that means bad news uh, afoot for his colleagues. I think it's fine. I mean, his point was, you know, you just need some new things coming in. It's not it's not total turnover by any stretch. But yeah, that was fantastic. And hey, look, um, did, did you guys, did he follow up? Did you get that 401k retirement account advice from him in the end?
1: Do you know, I haven't, but I'm not going to turn up an offer like that. And retrieve. if you're listening, you'll be getting a call from me shortly. Fantastic. Well, Rajiv, look out for that. Um, And otherwise, it's goodbye from me, Alex Steger. And goodbye from me, Frank Talbot.